Both the Warriors and Knicks stave off elimination as each of the second round series have 3-2 deficits. Who will come out on top over the next few days as we inch closer to the conference finals? The Panthers couldn't finish off the Maple Leafs last night. Is it possible that this 0-3 setback has set them up for the greatest comeback? MLB has been low-key, but I'll give you the latest lowdown there. And the NFL schedule will be released tonight, but there are a few leaks to discuss that I am not crazy about. The sports world has set it up, and I'm about to knock it down as I'll provide the latest of what's happening. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review, I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Reels Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits, grateful to be here to produce and host another episode, and even more importantly, to have you tag along to listen to it all, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard, and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. The third and final podcast of the week, I hope you got a chance to listen to the first two My usual Monday podcast, as well as my special guest, Maria Marino from Action Network. Hopefully you had an opportunity to listen to that. It's also on YouTube, at J Reels. Check it out if you want to be visually inclined to go that route to see and not only hear the interview, you could go to that channel and if you could subscribe, like, leave a comment one more time, I would greatly appreciate it. But now as we get deeper into the week... And as we look at the NBA second round, all the series are now at 3-2 deficits where last night you had the Warriors, the Knicks, and I'll get to them in a second, win their games pretty comfortably when we take a look at it and now what to expect here for a game six. But I want to get to tonight's games, and in particular the Boston Celtics. I know that people are going to say, oh boy, here goes Jay Reels on the soapbox. Here goes Jay Reels. Going to talk about his team. We don't want to hear about the Celtics. Those here in New York that want to hear about the Knicks or even the Laker fan out there to my guy, Bio Zio, who's on YouTube. So I give you a shout out because I know he's a big Laker fan and thought that they would win in five after winning game three in convincing fashion. But the Celtics at this very moment, when we look at this series to date, it has been 
a series that they probably could have won in four, and maybe even should have won in four when it was all said and done. And when we look at what happened there a couple nights ago in game five, it was just one that made you shake your head, scratch your head, and even rub your eyes a few times to see this basketball team get to this point where they literally played their worst game in weeks, obviously in this postseason, and it makes you wonder whether or not Joe Mazzulla, the first-year coach, and we all know that story with Ime Udoka, him having to be jettisoned and dismissed after being suspended, and the great start that Mazzulla got off to, and we all know that there's been a difference of philosophy when it comes to the former coach last year bringing the Celtics to a Game 6 of an NBA Final, and now just one loss away from being eliminated two rounds prior. And with Mazzola, and I get it, we could belabor the points of him with his timeouts, him just being so, I'll go out and say it, hard-headed when it comes to his offensive style of coaching. And when we look at what the Celtics did last year and how they performed in big spots, whether that was a Game 6 in Milwaukee, how they were able to, yes, go on the back of Jason Tatum and his 46 points, but how they were able to slow down Giannis, how they were able to bring the series back to Boston for a Game 7. And then even in the following series, which was a street fight against Miami, and they had to hang on for dear life when they had a 13-point lead in the fourth quarter with about three minutes to go. And if it wasn't for a Jimmy Butler three-point attempt that hit the front of the rim, who knows, the Celtics may have been gone and out of the postseason. But now as we get to this Game 6 in Philadelphia, in a building that they've won already before, not only in the regular season, but in Game 3, and we could even argue that they should have won Game 4, is it out of the realm of possibility that because the Celtics have owned the Sixers over the years and have dominated them in the postseason, that this could be the Sixers' time to win based on that awful, just lackluster, uninspired performance there in Game 5? Now, if the Celtics have any gumption, any toughness, any fight, we know they could score with anybody in the sport. But now we're going to see their true colors right in front of us, 7.30 p.m. tonight, or whenever you listen to this, the game will probably be over if you don't get a chance to listen to this prior to the start of this game this evening. But it is going to be fascinating to see how this team is going to perform based on recent track record. We could go to the previous series, Game 5 in Atlanta, or excuse me, Game 6, when they lost the game five in their building where they had a 14-point lead and Trey Young just took over and they had that series extended for one more game and they had to fight to get out of Atlanta with a win and not having to play in a game seven. So you like that if you're a Celtic fan from that regard that they were able to win, but they were from in front. They still had a 3-2 series lead and there was no pressure on them. And even last year, I mentioned the game in Milwaukee when they blew their home court in game five when they were tied 2-2. But now it's a different set of circumstances. And we know that the coach on the other end, Doc Rivers, he's blown a lot of these big leads before, whether they're 3-1 series leads or even 3-2. One of these series, he's going to win. And this is a series that I'm sure a lot of people thought he wasn't going to be able to get out alive, considering that Joel Embiid, his health status going into the series was questionable, to say the least. And now it's all up to the Celtics tonight, where, as I talked about this offensive style of coaching, he's going to have to adapt or look at the film to say that if Marcus Smart, who has had a deplorable series, and he cannot be the guy in crunch time to take these big shots, 
And I get it. We can look at the end of game four and how that unfolded to where Jason Tatum broke to the basket at six seconds left. The double team came over and he had to kick it out to Marcus Smart for the three that went in, but well after the buzzer. And he has to know and adapt to think that if Marcus Smart is not going to have it, or if Marcus Smart is going to shoot terribly or not contribute in a way that a floor general should, this is where Malcolm Brogdon steps in. And I mentioned this on my YouTube channel just yesterday. And I get it that he's going to stick to his big guns. He's going to stick to the guys that have led him throughout this whole year. But he has to get a feel for the game to know that if Marcus Smart is going to shoot him out of games, he's going to have to bring guys in that's going to shoot him into games. And I'm not trying to say that Malcolm Brogdon is Ray Allen. But we know he's much more of a playmaker. He's going to get his teammates involved. And yes, if he has to take that three or that shot, he's going to do so. But not because Smart's going to be that irrational confidence guy that no matter how shaken he may be, or he could be 0 for 9 from 3, he's going to take that 10 three-pointer. Which in all likelihood could doom the Celtics in a do-or-die situation. So not only are we going to see the makeup of this team encapsulate in one game tonight, but we're also going to see the coaching of a one Joe Mazzulla, and not to say he's going to do a 180, and not to say that all of a sudden he's going to be pushing the right buttons, But the whole world is going to see whether or not he's going to have it in him to get this team back to Boston for Game 7. And at that point, it's a crapshoot. And I had to start there because, granted that the game was two nights ago, and the game is the first one up tonight, 7.30 ESPN, but I've been sitting on this for 36 hours. And I had to get it off my chest to get this podcast started. Will the Celtics win tonight? I can see them winning the game. And you know what? I'll even go out on a limb and say that they will win the game. Because the Celtics, over the course of these last two postseasons, other than, I get it, the game six where it really counted against Golden State, whenever they had to win a game that mattered, they did. And I understand you can't mesh last year into this year. I I get it, 100%. But I would think to a man, knowing that they played so bad on Thursday night, it's not as if they lost a nail-biter or they got beat by a last-second shot like they did in Game 4, for all intents and purposes, with James Harden, where they could hang their heads, or they could say, oh, we gave it all we had, and that just took the life out of us, and now we got to go to Philly. Uh Uh-uh. This is a game that you just flush in the toilet, and now you come back as reinvigorated as possible to take the life out of that building tonight and go ahead and win the game. And I think they're going to do that. Because you couldn't play any worse than what they did in Game 5. And now that it's all right in front of them to know that it's win or go home both ways. Win or go home to play a game seven or win or go home see you during training camp in late September. So I think the Celtics will win tonight. And it's not any type of bravado or any type of confidence. I'm cautiously optimistic. But based on their performance there Tuesday night and knowing that they could play a lot better than what they showed in front of their home fans, I think they'll win. And the same can be said for the Phoenix Suns as I'll segue there. Because what you saw there a couple nights ago, it was a three-point nugget lead at the half. And then the second quarter, excuse me, the second half started to where the Nuggets just slowly but surely started to pull away. And then you had the incident there with Nikola Jokic and Kevin Durant where I don't know why Bruce Brown, and we understand that Bruce Brown and Kevin Durant were former teammates on the Brooklyn Nets, but trying to get into the huddle, maybe get a little bit of a psychological 
in the heads of the Suns, knowing that the Nuggets were starting to pull away. And as Jokic went over to see what was going on, you had Durant elbow and just push Nikola Jokic with a little bit of a flop. And even though he made amends with the owner, Matt Ishbia, before the game, if you probably saw that, which you knew Jokic wasn't going to get suspended. But with Jokic getting a triple-double, leading the attack in Denver to now Phoenix, has a game six in their building tonight, which I think they will win. This is going to be a home court series. I wouldn't be shocked if Denver wins. But knowing that Devin Booker has played phenomenal throughout the entire postseason, and knowing that they forget about the home court advantage, but they play well in that building, and they've shown Denver that they're going to be in it to the bitter end, and I could see them winning tonight and pushing it to a Game 7 there on Saturday. And as we all know with Game 7s, I would think Denver would win in their building. Just as much as I think Boston would win, but let's get past tonight before I could even think about Game 7, and I'll put a prediction on my socials. I already mentioned YouTube. Go to my channel, please subscribe, etc., where you'll get the latest and get my thoughts. If it does happen to go to a Game 7, my complete thoughts and, of course, analysis after that. And then we go to last night, where the Knicks, Jalen Brunson, had a monster game. Coming out of the break there at the half, they had a big third quarter. Jalen Brunson ending threes left and right. Knicks are getting involved. Although the Heat did make a comeback, but it fell way short. And you knew that the Heat, for as well as they played throughout the course of this series, that, not to say that this was a stinker by any stretch, but you just knew that once the Knicks got a lead and the Knicks were playing from in front, that it was going to be an uphill battle. And not to say that they capitulated and said, all right, well, we'll just take the flight back to South Beach and we'll see you in the game six and hopefully wrap it up there come tomorrow night. But... You wonder if this resurgence last night has put some life into the Knicks. And the same can be said for the Warriors, but it's two different stories. The Knicks story is they haven't won a game in Miami. Can they win one there? Of course they can. And knowing that they're going to try to get back home if they steal a game down on Biscayne Boulevard. But the thing that worries me about the Knicks is that what are you going to get from Julius Randle? What are you going to get from the other guys on the team? The R.J. Barretts. You're going to need to have a guy step up here to put forth a big effort in order for them to get back home. Whereas for the Warriors, and I'll talk about them more in depth in a second, but the Warriors, we know what they're made of, and we know the type of fiber that's in that team's being. I'll leave it at that before I get to Golden State. But the Knicks, we know that the Heat, that's not really a big time home court advantage, but knowing that they're in their building and I'm sure the last thing they want to do is even think about having to get on a flight to come back to New York to play a game seven at MSG. But the one thing that if you're a Nick fan is that if Brunson is now hot and he can carry them, let's see if he's going to be able to do that here in a game six, because although they do need another guy to also shoulder that load and that responsibility offensively, But now you have to wonder whether or not Brunson's going to look in the mirror and say, I'm going to try to be the guy that's going to carry this team back home for a game seven. Now, he's not that type of player. It's not as if he's a Kevin Durant. It's not as if he's one of those upper echelon scorers that you could 100% know that he's going to put in 30. And what is Julius Randle going to do? And we've seen Randle put up numbers. We understand that. Just look what he did there when he had, what, 25 and... 
12 when he came back from the ankle. But that was a game two early in the series at home. But the Knicks are going to need that type of performance from Randall and R.J. Barrett and even Josh Hart coming off the bench, as we know he's capable of doing. So if you're the Knicks, you only hope to get that type of performance. And we know that the Jimmy Butlers of the world are going to get their points. And you just have to do your best to not have another guy get off, whether it is a Gabe Vincent or Max Drews, because we know that those role players in their building, they could all of a sudden light up a scoreboard and be that unsung hero to win a game. And we've seen that time after time after time in all these series. The first one that comes to mind is a Celtic fan, Game 7, last year, Milwaukee and Boston, and Grant Williams hit, what, seven threes and scored 24 points. And Grant Williams, where have you seen him this postseason? Which is part of the philosophy that Joe Mazzulla has as opposed to Ime Odoka. Instead of going with more defensive toughness, he wants to go with more offense. And we know Grant Williams is not an offensive threat. He can make threes, but he's not a guy that's going to be relied on time after time to go ahead and be that guy to be a third leading scorer or even a second leading scorer on the team. So for the Heat, you know that there's going to be a guy, and even Duncan Robinson, who had 17 points last night, which was a lot for him, knowing that he hasn't really had a game where he's gone off. And I get it that, for whatever the reason, he's had his moments in the past, but this year he hasn't been able to put it together, whether it's just consistency or to get in rhythm. And I think it's more of a rhythm thing, but if the Heat get a performance like that, the Max Struzes, even Kyle Lowry, the Wiley veteran, then the Knicks are going to go home. But who knows? If Butler's will and the Heat culture rears its ugly head for the Knicks and the beautiful head for the NBA fan and for the Heat, then the Knicks are going to be going home. I think the Heat are going to win game six. I picked the Knicks to win in six, but I can see the Heat winning this series and wrapping it up. And then you have Golden State and the Lakers where last night, the Lakers had house money. They knew that even if they didn't win the game, they have a game six in their building. And you knew the Warriors were going to respond. Draymond Green in the pregame had a discussion, I believe, with one of the trainers and knew that he had to put his fingerprints on this game. And he certainly did by scoring 20 points. And anytime you get Draymond Green to score 20 points in a game, and if you remember, he scored 21 earlier in the postseason, you know it's going to be a good night for the Warriors. You had Steph Curry get 27-8. and eight. Also, Andrew Wiggins made a contribution offensively, scoring 25. And when you get that type of output, especially from Draymond and even Andrew Wiggins, who has not really been heard of offensively in this postseason, that's the type of outcome you're going to have when they win by 15. Now, as I get to the Warriors, with that championship makeup, with that DNA, with that toughness, medal, everything. Do they have what it takes to win a Game 6 in L.A. to then push it to a Game 7? Now, they lost Game 4, and that was a close game, close ending. Warriors had a lead going into the 4th. To me, they're going to have to avoid that big run early and that second half run as well. Because the Lakers, as we've seen, especially in Game 3, where they ran the Warriors out of the building... They're going to have to play, not necessarily from in front, but they're going to have to play close. Because the second that the Lakers smell blood, that's where it's going to be a problem. But there's also a problem with the Lakers because we don't know the status of Anthony Davis as he got 
a Kavon Looney elbow late in that game yesterday or in the fourth quarter to where he had to leave the game. A lot of people maybe feared it could be a concussion or maybe concussion-like symptoms. Based on what Darvin Ham said in the postgame is that he's feeling pretty good. I'm sure they're going to do more tests. Probably be a game-time decision. I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to speculate what his health status is going to be. But you wonder whether or not he's going to give it a go. And if he's not going to be in the lineup, that is going to bode well for Golden State. I would think he'll probably be cleared. Anytime you take a shot to the head like that, you have to be at the utmost precaution because you don't want him coming back. I understand it's not the NFL or the NHL, but again, if he comes back a little bit too soon and he's seeing threes out there, then you really got a problem. And you may not have him for a game seven. So the Lakers have a little bit of a safety net knowing that if Davis can't go based on how he responds today and into tomorrow, then at least you know you have game seven for him to respond and you would think he'd be close to, if not 100% at that time. But the Warriors, let's see what's going to happen here. I think they're going to be in the game. I know they're going to do their damnedest. But I just think the Lakers are going to win. I would love to see a Game 7. It would be thrilling. It would be fascinating. It would be a 3.30 Sunday game. ABC, you would think, if it does get to that point. Or even if you get two Game 7s, maybe that will be the first game. And who knows what will be the next game after that. That would mean that you'll have Heat Knicks if they push it to a Game 7. So, for Golden State, I think this would be... Not an impossible spot. I think they can win this game. But something just tells me that the Lakers know that they cannot have this boogeyman, this beast, this dragon stay around for any longer. LeBron knows it. I'm sure the coaching staff knows it. That if they have to play a game seven, that it is going to be tough sledding. And that's not to say the Lakers can't win a game seven up in San Francisco. But they... Right now, I'm not going to say they're playing with fire, but if they keep the Warriors hanging around, and if it's a game where they're within striking distance, whether it's start of the fourth, midway through, or toward the end of the fourth quarter, then that could be trouble. So I think the Lakers are going to come out of this in six. Would I be surprised if it goes seven? Absolutely not. I picked Warriors in seven, and I know I should stick with that, but when you get feels of these games and these series and... Kind of like I talked about with the Celtics. They played such a bad game five that you would think they're going to respond big time. Granted, it's on the road where the Lakers, it let it get away from them in that third quarter. And obviously, they had to go into the night knowing that, all right, we got a game six in our building. And I'm sure they're not going to respond and play the way they did last night. But that's what makes this fascinating, knowing that you have three game sixes, really four in the NBA, and the potential of having... Maybe at least two Game 7s is good for the NBA. Could we have four? Oh my God, that would be the ultimate jackpot. The NBA would sign for that in blood. I think you'll get two. I don't think you get three. And if you get four, you've hit the mother load. So that's what I have with the association. As I turn my attention to the Stanley Cup playoffs and the NHL as I lace up my skates. Not a lot of drama here. Pretty much the opposite of what we've seen in the NBA And I might as well just cut right to it with some of these series. I'll start off with Carolina and New Jersey because there isn't really much to discuss. When you had a performance like the Devils did, even though they got themselves back in the series, winning 8-4, as we talked about, and you wonder whether or not that the Devils 
based on what we saw in the first round against the Rangers losing the first two games and getting themselves back in a series and even a 3-2 series lead before winning in seven and then getting their sea legs to where they won 8-4 to four, and that's a blowout when it comes to playoff hockey standards. But then for the Devils to put up the Game 4 stinker that they did after scoring the opening goal by Jack Hughes just a couple of minutes in, and then the Hurricanes get a goal with about two and a half minutes to go, and you're like, all right, you hate to give up goals late in a period because it just adds some life and gives some momentum to, in this case, the road team, that being the Hurricanes. And then once the second period came and went, five goals later, not only was the game over, but in all likelihood, the series is over. So, do I think the Devils can win a Game 5 in Carolina? Listen, they won a Game 5, even though it was in their building, but they've been bad on the road here in this series. I get it that they did lose a game at Madison Square Garden before winning those two, but Carolina's a much different team. A team that I'm sure they're going to want to close out the Devils here and now, and you would think that after that performance there, yes, the only direction you go is up, like I mentioned in the NBA segment with both these Celtics and Lakers. But I don't know. The Devils have been so streaky and Jekyll and Hyde that, yeah, can they come out and win a 4-1 game tonight? They can, but they haven't given me any indication other than Game 3 that they could do so. And I would think Carolina is going to do whatever they can to put the proverbial foot on their necks tonight to play from in front, get a lead, have the Devils just skating around looking for answers, and then before you know it, Carolina will have a 3-0 or even a 4-0 lead before they cruise to another 5-1 victory. So that's where I'll start, just to kind of put that game aside. Now let me bring up an interesting scenario, which I probably could have and should have let off with, but I'll say it now. So the Panthers, we know, got off to a 3-0 series lead, and we've talked a lot about maybe the First round euphoria of the Leafs finally getting over that hump was almost as if that was their Stanley Cup. Because what we've seen, although the games have been close in the first three games, but going down 0-3, to me, has been a bit of an indicator of that. But then you have last night to where they were able to get a goal in the second by William Nylander, and they tacked on another goal before Sam Reinhart got a power play goal midway through the third, but they were able to hang on and give it up to Joseph Wall, who Ilya Samsonov, as we know, had to leave Game 3 with an injury. So now you bring this kid up who's getting his first taste of not only playoff hockey, but National Hockey League just overall. And for him to put up 24 saves and to put some pride and save the Maple Leaf season, the scenario is this. We know that they've had a 56-year Stanley Cup drought. And as I said, even after them being down 0-3 on Monday, that if the hockey gods and the stars would be aligned for this cataclysmic event, a la Red Sox-Yankees 2004 ALCS, to where, yes, they did get over the hump, and now they're down 0-3, what would make this run even special is that if they could just take one game at a time and get themselves back to a Game 7, in their building to see if they could pull off the 0-3 hole into a 4-3 series win and propel them to a conference final. Now they got the one game. They go back home. And no pressure on Florida. They still have control of the series. And the Maple Leafs, all right, maybe they could exhale a little bit knowing that they played with some pride and that they were able to get at least one win under their belt and not get embarrassed to get swept here 
after winning this first round series. But here's the problem though. If you're a Maple Leaf fan and maybe even to a man, the Maple Leaf players. You have played five games in the postseason at home. You've lost four of them. That has not been a home ice advantage to say the least. You lost what? Game one and game five to Tampa. And you lost the first two games of this series to Florida. Do I have any belief as a hockey fan or someone that's following the series that the Maple Leafs will come out with a 3-2 series deficit and bring it back to Florida where now all the pressure will be on the Panthers to win that game? I can't say I do. Now, that also brings you to the point where they're due to win a home game because they've lost the last three at home in four out of five. So maybe they could get a rocking chair type of game where they're clicking on all cylinders. The big-time goal scorers will show up. I know Mitch Marner actually had a goal. He had that second goal there yesterday and had an assist on the first goal. So maybe, for whatever the reason, the crowd will say, come on, guys, let's get behind our team. And maybe they'll be flying right out of the gate to the point where They'll get a ton of goals, but until I see that, I don't have any trust in the Maple Leafs. Now, I want to see it, and I want to be wrong, and hopefully they could win this game, whether it's in 10 overtimes or 7-1, to because then all the pressure, like I said, will be on Florida, because now they know that they had a 3-0 series lead, and it's starting to slip through their hands, and granted that they have the home game in their building, no problem, but they may be a little tight. And they may feel as if Toronto gets out to an early lead, then who knows what's going to happen from there on out. So we still got to get to that point, and I get it, that Toronto's going to have to take care of business in Game 5. But just as I brought up that cataclysmic stream of events, and maybe, just maybe, with life being breathed back into the Maple Leaf team, organization, coaching staff, etc., maybe they'll get a home win and go to... Sunrise, and maybe have the thoughts of, come on boys, let's just get one more so we can push to a game seven, and then it's even keel, even though there'll still be pressure on the Leafs because of who they are. But let's see how that unfolds, and hopefully it does unfold to the point where we see a game six, and maybe, dare I even say, beyond. Dallas bounced back nicely after Seattle took a 2-1 series lead, but then Dallas came out of the gate firing three goals in the first they jumped out to a 4-0 lead and then went on to win 6-3 that's a series I think the Dallas Stars are going to win in 7 and I understand that the Kraken have played very well here and we saw what they did in the opening series against the Colorado Avalanche winning games on the road winning a game 7 in Colorado and it's not to say they can't do that here against Dallas but I don't know I think Dallas with that win maybe that will spark enough of momentum on their side to the point where it's like no fooling around guys let's now go home take care of business and see if we could wrap up this series in game six or if it does go seven that we could finish off the Kraken and then move on to a conference final that's just my gut Seattle you can't argue with what they've done or can't even I mean listen unless they get blown out eight nothing in these next two games but even then Nobody expected the Kraken to win a first-round series against the defending Stanley Cup champs. And then now to have a 2-1 series lead and have a series that's going to go minimum six. And I think maybe even Seattle will win another game. I don't know if it's going to be five or six, but they have an opportunity here to see if, and that's Dallas I'm talking about, to really put the clamps down on the Seattle team to know that 
They had a big outburst as far as goal scoring goals, especially early on in that game. And maybe that will carry them into a game five and maybe game six to see if they can close out the series. And then lastly, you had Edmonton, who I was very disappointed in after that game three performance where they just had their doors blown off. And as I mentioned on Monday's podcast, if they were to win those two games in Edmonton at home, to me, they would be in serious business or show me that they mean serious business as far as them being a cup contending team because we know Vegas and what they've done throughout the course of the regular season. Obviously, they're a one seed. And not to say they had to blow out Vegas by any means, but knowing that what Edmonton did to Vegas in Game 2, winning 5-1, and Leon Dreisaitl continuing his goal-scoring exploits, but they had that done to them in Game number 3, and I was very disappointed because, to me, it showed that maybe Edmonton was just a little bit too, with their chest puffed out, And to the point where maybe they thought that they were going to go home and it was going to be easy pickings. And obviously that was not the case. But then last night they got themselves back on track. 4-1 win. I know Connor McDavid in the postgame is maybe even asking nicely to have the league look at that slash by Golden Knights defenseman Alex Pietrangelo on Leon Dreisaitl. And that would be big because that means if he does get suspended for Game 5, that's a big piece on that back line for Vegas. So I don't know if that's gamesmanship on McDavid's part, but we know McDavid's stature in the sport. So does the NHL listen? Does the front office look as if uh, maybe we should take a good look at this? Is it going to be more of a suspension or is it just going to be a fine? As we've seen, Kale McCarr with that boarding call on Jared McCann in the previous series and how Kale McCarr did not play in a game five. So the NHL, they're not impervious to putting their stars on ice for a game if it's to be called for. So that's something that maybe we should take a look at and just keep in mind to see if Peter Angelo could be suspended for this game. So we shall see. Now, I didn't get to see the slash. I probably should have taken a peek at that on my way into recording here in my little studio here. But with that being said, that series is tied at two, and that's anyone's series. Obviously, Edmonton could win a game five. And then Vegas could win a game six in Edmonton. We've seen that. And I can see this series going seven. I did pick Edmonton to win in six. And like I said, not a lot of drama. You only have the two series that are 2-2. With this one here, with the Oilers and Golden Knights, and as well as Seattle and Dallas, as we just talked about. And the other two series are 3-1. So hopefully we get some drama. That leaf scenario that I mentioned, hopefully it does get extended to a six game so we can wait and see if that's going to be the case. The Devils, I think they're shot. I'd be surprised if they win here in the game six. And even if that's the case, excuse me, in a game five. And if that's the case, do they come out alive in a game six? I don't think so. And we shall see. Now, a couple of notes here with the NHL. Gerard Gallant out as coach of the New York Rangers. And you kind of saw that coming just based on the expectations of this team going into the season. A lot of the deadline deals that were made and... For them to have a 2-0 series lead and then to trail 3-2 to tie the series and then be a no-show in Game 7, you knew the coach was going to be the fall guy. Now, who's going to be that next guy to step up? There have been reports that it could be Joel Quenville, but that's going to be sticky because of that scenario in Chicago with the, I believe it was the assistant coach with the sexual harassment charges on the former player. 
And remember, Quenville was the coach in Florida before he got let go as the Panthers knew that they couldn't have a guy on their team, even with his cup-winning pedigree, to know that he was complicit in these alleged accounts of what went on behind the scenes. So they had to cut bait. And if the Rangers are going to go down that avenue, of course they're going to have to have discussions to see whether or not Quenville is going to be a good fit and what that's going to mean there for him getting a job after what happened. That was 12, 13 years ago. This wasn't something that happened within the last four or five years. So you have to keep that in mind as well. But still, even though that was a long time ago, it's on the conscience of a one Joe Quenville. So if the Rangers are going to go that route, where we know he would bring instant credibility and obviously a ton of cup experience, but baggage as well, do the Rangers want to do that? I don't know. They may have to bite the bullet if they know they want to get themselves to the Stanley Cup final and win the Holy Grail when it's all said and done. Would I do that? It's a very tough call. That's all I'll say. Maybe I wouldn't go that route only because I'm sure there's another coach that I could pluck or another guy that I could say, all right, I believe in X coach to deliver us a Stanley Cup. But Quenville may be, uh, for me, I would just stay away. And speaking of the Blackhawks, they win the draft lottery. So that means the next generational superstar and another Connor at that, which I don't like because we already have one Connor who's already the generational player of this era as the Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin era slowly but surely fades away. And to think you have Connor Bedard, the kid from Vancouver, looks like he's going to be that next it guy. All right. If that's where the Blackhawks are going to go, and you would think, because they're going to be in super rebuild mode considering what has happened to that team over the last couple of years. Jonathan Taze, you would think, is not going to be part of the team. He may end up retiring based on the recent injuries that he's had. We know Patrick Kane was traded midway through the season or by the deadline to the Rangers. And that is going to be a full rebuild mode. So you know that Connor Bedard is going to be on their radar and you would think is going to be the number one overall pick in the draft sometime next month. So kudos to them for having the luck to get that next guy to be the face of their franchise over the next 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, dare I say. So that's what we have with the NHL. Now as I lace up my cleats, put on the batting gloves and get in the batter's box for baseball, not a lot of storylines here. I don't know if you want to get crazy about Kenley Jansen winning his 400th save. I believe the seventh pitcher in Major League Baseball to do so. So congratulations to him as he did it against his former team last night in Atlanta. And I know I didn't talk about Bryce Harper coming back last week. What was it? 160 days after Tommy John surgery. He's going to be the DH. He's not going to play outfield. And he did hit a home run over the weekend against the Red Sox. But the Phillies, as we know, they've been scuffling here to start off their se- their season as they're a game on the 500. But they have righted the ship a little bit as the Phillies have won three in a row as they finished sweeping off the, not necessarily the Blue Jays, they had a two-game series against the Blue Jays and they go to Colorado. But they got the back end against the Red Sox and I thought it was a three-game set. It was actually two being the Blue Jays. So that was good for them to kind of get themselves back on track knowing that they got their big gun in the lineup. And let's see what the Phillies do. Remember, they got off to that slow start last year where they had to say bye-bye to Joe Girardi, and we know what happened from that point on. Yes, there were a lot of ins and outs, ups and downs, but once they got to October, they got on that magic carpet ride all the way to the World Series. So let's see what the Phillies do here. 
but not a lot when it comes to baseball. I know the Pirates, we talked about them on Monday, how they've been slipping, and they lost two out of three to the Rockies, so that's not a good sign, although they are still in first place by the slimmest of margins because the Brewers can't seem to get out of their own way, as the Brewers, for whatever the reason, weren't able to get the Dodgers, even though they won the first game, but lost the back two of that series, and you had that weird story there with Mookie Betts getting an Airbnb because he didn't want to stay in this haunted hotel in Milwaukee. I know in Oklahoma City, you have that one hotel where a lot of the visiting players, they couldn't stay at. I can't remember what the name. Is it the Skiverin or the Skyrin? I forgot that hotel and what the name was, but that's been a famous hotel in Oklahoma City for it being haunted, especially that third floor. But I didn't know about this Milwaukee scenario, so who knows? Maybe by them getting out of that hotel or that floor or whatever did wonders for the Dodgers in the back end of that series, but not for the Brewers. And then the Rays actually lost a couple of games, break up the Rays for them getting into a little bit of a losing streak. What did they do? They lost the back two to the Orioles, and now they got to go to Yankee Stadium starting tonight for four games. And we just saw them play a series this past weekend where they won two out of three and had that crazy game on Sunday, which they came from behind on Garrett Cole. And interestingly enough, they'll see Cole tomorrow night. But now the Rays come to the Bronx to have a four-game set. And let's see how they fare with the division lead. Not as big as you thought, considering that the Braves have the biggest lead out of all the division leaders in the sport. But we know that the Rays have been... Just formidable and have had a tremendous start. What are they now? 29-9. and But with the lead that they have there, just four and a half over the Orioles, winning those two games and gaining the game in the process, and having an eight-game lead over the Yankees. And as we know, the Yankees played the A's, and they just smacked them around Yankee Stadium over the last three days. So you know they're coming in with a little bit of confidence. So that's one series to look at here over the weekend. If you're a sports fan or even a baseball fan for that matter, other than that, you don't have a lot of big series. Well, you have a couple now that I think about it. You have Atlanta going to Toronto this weekend. And after what Toronto did, losing the two games of Philadelphia, let's see if they could get back on the beam. The Padres go to L.A. and they just finished playing a series over this past weekend as well. So that's a series to look out for, especially in the NL West. And then you have the Pirates who are trying to get themselves back on track and see if they could get to their winning ways. They go to Baltimore. A little 1979, if you want to reminisce, for the baseball fan who was around at that time, and Lord knows I was. A 79, we are family, down three games to one. Willie Stargell, Dave Parker, etc. As the Buckos will invade the Baltimore Inner Harbor area to play the O's over the weekend. So, you got some series to chew on. And speaking of which, talk about series. Next year, a report that has the Mets and Phillies playing in that London series. Am I crazy about that? We saw the Yankees play a couple of years ago against the Red Sox. And that was, yeah, that was pre-pandemic. And then last year you didn't have that. I don't think you had it. Did you have Cubs Cardinals out in London? I think you did. Or if not, it's going to be this year. Well, now the Mets are going to be on deck for next year to play the Phillies for two games overseas. So if that's something you're interested in and want to take a weekend out to London to watch the Mets play, be my guest. I'm not going to be that guy. And then you have Max Freed, the Braves, you got to wonder whether or not his season may be coming to a screeching halt as he had to leave a game the other night with a left forearm strain. And generally, forearm strains could be the beginning of an end, which means Tommy John surgery. And I'm not saying that he has it. I'm not saying that that's the case. But we know forearm strains, that is something 
that is very ominous when it comes to the elbow, when it comes to being out for a considerable amount of time. And it may be that Max Fried, a guy who is going to look for a big payday, who, who is a free agent at the end of this year, and we know the Braves are good at signing their own free agents, but we shall see where that will happen or that will shake down over the next few days as far as his health is concerned when it comes to his left elbow and him being a part of this rotation for the rest of this 2023 season. Besides that, that's all you got there, people. I'm not going to really get into what is really taking place as far as standings and things of that nature as we get closer to Memorial Day. But that's pretty much the latest in baseball. And now the NFL, as I put on the helmet and shoulder pads, we have the schedule release in full bloom tonight, which I'm sure you're going to see on all the big networks, NFL Network, ESPN. I'm not that guy. When it's released, I'll just go online, see who my Steelers are going to play, and check a few other teams that who they're going to play I look at the big games throughout the course of the year. When I look at the big games, I look at the Sunday night schedule. You have to even look at the Monday night schedule. Thursday night is not necessarily a big night. And you know a lot of those early games are going to be the bad teams. And I don't recall, I may have seen a report that the NFL, although there's going to be two Thursday night games or two teams could play on Thursday nights throughout the course of the season, But I don't know if you're going to see the dregs of the NFL. I don't know if you're going to see the Houston Texans play. And if you do, you're probably going to see them early on a Thursday night. I don't know if you're going to get to see a team like the Arizona Cardinals who may have a long season. Are they going to have an early season matchup that you're going to see on Amazon Prime, let's say week three, week four, just to appease the NFL fan? I don't know. But this is the problem with having all these games having all these mouths to feed, whether it's Thursday on Amazon Prime, whether it's the Sunday night NBC package, the Monday night ESPN with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, and all these other different games throughout the course of the year to where, as I'll segue into Black Friday, and I like to look at the Thanksgiving Day games, we know you're going to have the game in Detroit, which could be a good matchup based on how Detroit played the latter part of the year and almost made it to the postseason. Dallas... They stand alone and speak for themselves and what the Thursday night game, which will probably be close to a marquee matchup. But that's the problem. You're going to have all these matchups on Thanksgiving. You're going to have a Sunday night matchup as you get late in the year, which could be a flex game. Who knows? And then you have a Monday night game. So now it leaves you Black Friday. To me, can we do away with the Black Friday game? As I said weeks ago, it's going to be Miami at the Jets, where we all know Aaron Rodgers, the Jets, all right, fine. The Dolphins, if two is healthy, we know about the offensive firepower that they have there. The vision matchup, I get it. 3 p.m. is the game time for the Black Friday game. But the NFL, enough. We understand content is king. We understand that this is appointment television. But it's just overkill. I read some comments, and these are NFL fans, and I get it. You can throw them as far as you want. But... The NFL fan, for the most part, says, do away with the Thursday night game. We know it generates money. We know that the networks from Amazon get $2 billion. And But how much more money do these owners need? And we know we can't put the genie back in the bottle, but I'm just disgusted by this whole thing because it's just too much. The Thursday night game, they're usually not great games to begin with. And this is going back however many years, 9, 10, 11 years, even more than that, maybe a dozen years that the Thursday night package or the Thursday night games have been instituted into the NFL schedule 
It's not as if you have the classic Thursday night game. So I wish we could just do away with that, number one. Number two, when it comes to having to appease these networks and put the best games possible, which is going to leave you pretty much nothing, I could see toward the end of the year. And this is why they're going to even flex the Monday night games. And even there was thoughts about maybe flexing Thursday night games, which would be just downright ludicrous. But this is the problem that you have when you have all these different days. You might as well put a Tuesday night NFL game, which I wouldn't be surprised they do that at some point. And it's just way too much. And as it is, I haven't even talked about the London games. Jacksonville's going to play there twice, back-to-back weeks. And I couldn't even tell you who they're playing because I don't really care. But you have five games that are going to be played. Three in London, two in Germany. You have Ravens-Titans, I believe, are the last of the three games in October because I think it's October 1st and 8th where you have the Jaguars playing those games. Then on the 15th, it's Ravens-Titans. All right, not a bad game. Who knows what the Titans are going to be this year, especially with their quarterback situation. Then you have the two games in November where one of the games where we would hope it would have been in Kansas City, but you have the Dolphins visiting the Chiefs, but oh, it happens to be in Frankfurt, where you're not going to get the return of a one Tyreek Hill playing in Arrowhead. So no, you have to steal the Kansas City Chiefs fans' joy by playing the game in Germany at 9.30 in the morning or whatever it is, and nobody cares. Yes, for the fantasy football and for the gambling they do, but for a guy like me who does not even participate in those type of activities, when it's 9.30 in the morning and I'm getting up, the last thing I'm thinking about is an NFL football game. So can we please bring those games back to the States? And I understand it generates money and interest and all this and the crowds and the teams or the fans of the teams will fly out there. It's a weekend. It's a week. It's this. I could care less. The NFL prints money. The NFL makes more money than it could spend. The NFL has more money and these are the owners that their grandkids, grandkids, grandkids won't have enough time or enough to even spend it on. But the sad part is, like I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And most fans, they're going to bitch and moan that, oh, how come we don't have a Thursday night game or a Black Friday game or a Thursday night game on Thanksgiving or Saturday games or this game or a Halloween game. Ah, it's just too much. Sick of it. And I did predict on Monday that the Thursday night game for the opener of the season, which is usually hosted by the Super Bowl winner, that being, of course, the Chiefs. I did see that on New Year's Eve, you're going to have Cincinnati at Kansas City, so you could scratch out that game for your opener. And maybe you get Buffalo-Kansas City because those two teams are going to face one another, and I believe Buffalo goes back to Kansas City yet again. But I think it's going to be Philadelphia and Kansas City based on the imbalance of the schedule where the AFC has the extra home game this year and they play a team in the NFC, that being the NFC East, and that being, of all teams, the one that represented the NFC and they faced in the Super Bowl, I think that's what it's going to be. And I only say that because of the game in Super Bowl 50, Carolina-Denver, where the home opener for the Broncos was Carolina. And if you remember, that was a game where, I believe, Cam Newton, late in the game, got sacked, And he was wobbly, and it looked like he got concussed, and he continued to play in the game, and that was a bit of a controversy at that time in that home opener. So I think you're going to see Jalen Hurts versus Patrick Mahomes again to start off the year as a Super Bowl 
57 part 2 and the schedule which gets released tonight or later today and I'm sure you're going to get leaks throughout the course of the day will be in full bloom and I'll talk a little bit about it on Monday as we recap that and everything else that's happening in the world of sports at that time that'll do it my good people another episode in the books or just about thank you so much for stopping by thank you so much for your participation for just being able to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports trust me your participation is never ever taken for granted and like I mentioned at the top if you haven't done so please subscribe rate and review don't be a few stars write a review I greatly appreciate it again to increase the visibility of this podcast just so those out there know about the podcast who I am what I talk about again I would thank you from the bottom of my heart if you want to hit me up on any of my socials you can do so with the following on YouTube at J Reels I put content there daily and I get it for the TikTok Instagram followers I have not put content up I've been concentrating a lot on my YouTube but my apologies for those and I'll make sure to get some content up there as well but TikTok Instagram Facebook the J Reels Podcast Twitter J Reels one just a number and if you want to hit me up with a question comment or suggestion you can do so at the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com whatever you want to send to me I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals and then lastly if you want to contribute to this endeavor you could do so by going to my Patreon page P is in Paul A T is in Tom R-E-O-N is in Nancy dot com slash the J Reels Podcast whatever you want to put forth goes 100% to this endeavor the upkeep of the website the production the equipment to make this experience into the microphone through your earbuds headphones or speakers that much more enjoyable entertaining, informative, etc. Because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to talk about people. It's in the blood, it's in the DNA, as I like to say. I'm not going anywhere as long as I'm alive and breathing. Sports is what I love to discuss, dissect, digest, regurgitate, to share with you guys and gals. Delivering fire, passion, energy, fury on anything and everything that happens. On the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the Southeast, the South Center, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>